Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Father, we come before you this morning deeply grateful for what you've already done. Uh, We have drunk deep at the wells of your grace, Um, but we also know the power of your word. We want to submit ourselves to that, and we want to complete what it is that you have for us this morning through your written word. We are continuing in our series on Hebrews. We are in chapter 11, and um, a really amazing attractive, beautiful woman uh, preached the first half of that last week. My wife, for those of you who weren't here, okay? And I'm going to pick up in chapter 17. I mean, sorry, chapter 17. There is no chapter 17 in Hebrews, all you Bible college students. Verse 17 of chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in fact offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, I don't have time to detail the history of what's going on, Um, But you can see that last week we started with Noah. He's continuing and he's going through um, the history of the Hebrew people, helping them understand that everything that was done was done at the call and invitation of God. So when you see by faith, think, at the call and invitation of God, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. At the invitation of God, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, God. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days." By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had, been, she had given them a friendly welcome. Sorry, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah. And we covered all of those guys in our series on Judges, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. He's talking about Elijah and Elisha. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Wow, right? 
I mean, that's like the whole, uh, almost the whole entire Old Testament in a couple of verses. Martin Luther says that faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. Faith is a living, busy, active, mighty thing. So what does our faith history tell us about how we are to exercise faith. And the first thing that our faith history from this portion of scripture tells us is that faith does not fear or fawn, or fawn, as you would say. F-A-W-N, it means like to be like, oh, I'm so grateful that you recognize me, you know. Um, faith does not fear or fawn. In verse 27, it says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. God invited Moses to leave, and Moses was afraid. Now, one of the things we've got to realize is that when we exercise faith in the realm of fear of man, it isn't this whole, like, let's go, this idea of, like, suddenly there's this massive deposit of faith, and you feel like in that moment you can, like, take on the world. Those of you that are familiar with the, with the story of Moses will know that that's not how it worked. Moses was incrementally, his faith was being built, little by little. First, the burning bush. God says, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground, and come near me. And Moses didn't want to come near him. Then God's invitation to go to Pharaoh, and, and Moses didn't want to go to Pharaoh. And so God said, okay, throw your staff on the ground, and it'll become a snake. And I'd be like, if that's the way that you want to make someone not afraid, that's probably not what I would have chosen, you know? Don't be afraid. I'm going to take the staff and turn it into a snake. See? Don't be afraid, you know? Then he puts his hand in his, um, in his clothes, and out it comes, and it's leprous. And then God says, put it in again, and out it comes, and it's healed. And little by little, Moses is learning that at the invitation of God, because of the power of God, he can trust him who is invisible rather than the king. And, and so when, when it comes to the idea of exercising our faith, when it comes to the fear of man, it isn't usually this like fresh deposit where like, I can take on the world. It's little steps that God has taken us on that, that show us that God has been faithful so that we are not to fear. Think of the first time you shared your faith with someone. Think of the first time God told you to give money that you really needed, but you were being faithful, that you were scared in stepping into an area that you didn't necessarily have the gifting or belief for, or the first time you stood up to injustice. And each one of those little steps helps to build our faith. Faith also says no to fear. It says no to popularity or to fawning. In verse 24, by faith Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now Moses grew up in Pharaoh's kingdom. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter because his mom and dad put him on the basket. And by the sovereignty of God, this basket ended up in Pharaoh's daughter uh, raised him as her own son. And he's saying, by faith, he refused that privilege, rather choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, of course, we want to be a people that engage our culture, but we also don't want to be a people that are shaped by our culture. We are called pilgrims, and pilgrims by nature are peculiar and unique. 
And the Bible continually tells us that this is not our home. And we, we are continually needing to make these decisions with regards to what is popular versus being faithful to God. Moses would rather be associated with the slaves than the ruling class. Christianity used to be a marker of the ruling class, but now it's a marker of the uneducated, bigoted, hateful, small people. We are not completely um, without blame here, but we have become the marginalized group, and, and consistently throughout our days, we are needing to exercise faith to say, I would rather be marked as a follower of Christ than as Pharaoh's daughter, the ruling company. Now, this is difficult because we all want to be part of the in crowd. I think of how you would answer this question. Are you a Christian? How you would answer that question would depend on the environment that you're in. How you would answer that question would depend on who's around you. What are they actually asking? Most of us would answer with a qualification, right? Yes, I am, however, not one of those, you know? I, um, I think that the, the best way to understand whether you have faith um, or whether, actually, this is really more about self-confidence and faith, is to have a plate of food in your hands and to try and find a place to sit somewhere, right? Now, all of you have gone through that. Those of you that were raised in the United States, we were not raised that way. And you have your plate of food and you are trying to figure out where you're going to sit, you know? So where is the in crowd? Where is, where is the popular crowd? I mean, all of us feel that pressure. We wanna be part of the in crowd. On Thursday, I was invited to a pastor's gathering I don't know why I was invited to this pastor's gathering. It's called One Table, and um, there's a whole bunch of really cool pastors there, and I'm like, I am such an imposter here. I'm pretty sure the only reason I'm invited is because I have an accent and none of them do, you know? <laughs> Seriously, I was at one of those places uh, John Mark Comer was there, and I asked the question, and he's like, oh, man, you have such a cool accent. If, my, if I had an accent, my church would be doubled what it is, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had to go for inner healing for that, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I sat there, and I'm saying to myself, okay, my friend says, hey, sit here, um, because both of us are feeling like imposters. Are you going to sit next to me? And I'm like, yeah, let's just put our stuff here. We'll sit here. Anyway, I got talking to the main guy who set up this thing. And the main guy says to me, hey, come sit with me. <laughs> so moving on. Um, you want to know where I sat, right? Okay. I sat on this table, but I said to him, hey, can we go sit over there? And he didn't want to move. So now I have a decision to make. So I say to my friend, hey, do you mind if I sit here? And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't mind, because you want to sit with a big shot, you know? He was joking, he was joking, because he, he knows me, we're friends. But all of us have this desire to be with the in crowd. Our persecution is probably not the kind of person, persecution the guys in Cambodia are facing. Our persecution is probably not the kind of persecution the guys in Indonesia are facing. Our, our persecution is more subtle. It doesn't mean that it, it's not hurtful. Later on, when he talks about suffering, he starts with this. He says, mockings. And then he talks about people being sawed in half, people going to prison, people dying. But he starts with mockings. And I'm like, yeah, we, we, we mustn't underplay 
how it shrivels our faith when we're constantly wanting to be part of that in crowd and when we're constantly mocked and told we can't be part of that. There's a big difference between being winsome and spineless. And we need to be a people that boldly declare the gospel, that humanity is deeply flawed in their sin, but unbelievably, deeply, transformationally loved. And that's the key here, is that God's love is so deep and profound that it changes me. It's not just so deep and profound that it removes any stain of sin off me. It's so deep and profound that it changes me. And that is our message. Faith is not measured by our failures. Like the writer of Hebrews, I say, time fails me to tell you, but let me just say this. Abraham, he lied about his wife. He said it wasn't his wife. Pharaoh took her as his wife. Number one, Isaac had favorites. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph seems to be the only character in here that doesn't have a clearly disqualifying event, although most of his brothers will tell you he was a punk, okay? Moses had a temper. Moses had a temper, and he struck the rock twice when God said, strike it once, and for that, he was barred entry to the promised land. Rahab, just in case you missed it, because Scripture tells us that Rahab was a prostitute, not even of the covenant people of God, but because she exercised faith in God, it was credited to her as righteousness. She's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. Gideon was a coward. We covered this, hiding in a, a wine press. Great deliverances that came through the hand of Gideon, but also led Israel into sin when they started worshiping an ephod. Barak was fearful and anxious, and Deborah had to set him straight and scold him. Samson was a sex addict with an anger problem. Jephthah, the son of a prostitute who made a rash vow and ultimately ended up killing his own daughter. David, guilty of murder and adultery. What are you trying to do to us? What is happening here? What I'm trying to say is that I believe that God can use flawed people before he can use faithless people. God's history from Genesis through to Revelation is because of his scandalous grace and his unwavering commitment to his purposes and his desire to make sure that people know that it's not because of Samson's internal strength. It's not because of Gideon's internal strength. It's because the Spirit of God has enabled them to do this in response, response to the faith given to them by the Spirit that they are able to do these things. That we can sit here and actually say, God is able to use me as a flawed person. Now the challenge here is this, are we just going to continue to sin? No, we've, we've, we've dealt with this. Throughout Hebrews, he's given us multiple warnings about what that looks like. Uh, I'm not talking about the active pursuit of sin here. I'm talking about people who fail in their desire to serve God and not people who want to be their own God, who want to reshape God, and who want to worship themselves while they say they're worshiping God. I'm talking about genuine men and women that desire to serve God and fall into the traps that have been set for them. This is dangerous. There are consequences. Each of these men and women faced consequences. David's baby that he had with Bathsheba died. He set in motion a whole slew of kind of family turmoil as a result. We know what the outcome of Samson was, blinded and killed by his own pride and arrogance. Now, there are consequences 
to not reaching for the grace of God. But, but I want to say this. Faithfulness is not determined by our failures. You know, I, I can tell you this, that, that some of the most faithful people I know are people that have come back after failure. Why? Because it does not depend on them. They throw themselves at the mercy of God and they understand an aspect of their Redeemer that we who don't fail will never understand. Faith can seem foolish. I mean, let's be honest. By faith, he kept the Passover. Now, we understand now that the Passover is massively significant as a shadow of Jesus' death. But at that moment, all Moses had was, I want you to dip this branch of hyssop in the blood of the lamb, and I want you to cover the doorpost, and when the angel of death comes, the firstborn in your home will be rescued. Sounds weird, right? It sounds weird because it is weird. It is a supernatural act. The cross is foolishness. When, when we sit and think, what, what is the core of our faith in? The core of our faith is that God came in the form of man in Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a cross, bled and died, his body broken. He died, was dead for three days, was resurrected, is seated at the right hand of God. When people say to me, when, when, um, when we look at these supernatural things in the Bible, like, do you really think that Jonah was swallowed by a whale for three days? I'm like, bro, I'm still trying to get over a man raised from the dead. You know, so yes, it's easy for me to believe that someone could be in the belly of a fish for three days. Paul says the cross is foolishness. Because we don't access it by understanding how these, all, these things fit together. We access it by faith. By faith. Our heart is changed by confession. We make that confession of faith to actually say, Jesus, I believe that what you did rescued me and I will have eternity with you. In the pre-gathering prayer, we were reminded everyone has life after death, but not everyone has life after life after death. Everyone here in this room is an eternal being. Not everyone is going to share that eternity with Jesus. And because we place our faith in the cross, we have that eternity assured. Faith works against worldly wisdom. You have what you have because you earned it. No, that's not how faith works. Or you have, you, you have what you have because you, you didn't ask for anything. You were, you were just a nice person. No, that's not how that works. It's opposed to earthly Wisdom. It's not opposed to heavenly wisdom. James tells us that earthly and heavenly wisdom are separate. When God calls us to do something that is considered unwise by worldly standards, we need to go back to the Word of God that shapes our response to that because it is the living Word of God. And I can say to this, faith is not whatever comes into your mind. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So if we really want to act in faith and God tells us to do something, we will stir our faith and grow our faith when we go back to the Bible and understand it's here. I can do this because God has called people throughout centuries to act in this way. Faith is like going to a will call window. Do you, do you guys know what a will call window is? Anyone used a will call window? Okay, so you go to a will call window, someone says, I'm going to leave tickets for you um, at, at the show, right? What do you need? to pick them up. Why, right? Because they want to know that the person that is collecting it is the person that it was meant for. 
The problem with us when it comes to the exercise of faith is that God has said there's a will call ticket for you and we, we don't go get it. We're like worried. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, this is like, these are box seats at the Super Bowl, which was horrendous, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, Sean Buell, it was terrible. <laughs> we have one of two responses when, 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 you, when you link faith with this idea of will call window. Some of us never go to the will call window and pick up what God has in store for us. Some of us arrogantly stride up to the will call window and nothing has been given to us there. Can you imagine going to the local window and said, I'm Nick Salters. Yeah? You have a ticket for me. Well, who left it? I don't know. I think I deserve a ticket. I felt like you should give me a ticket. Actually, I'm full of faith that you'll give me a ticket. How's that going to work out for you? Yeah, you'll get a different kind of ticket. You know, that's how that will work out for you. I grew up in very much this idea of going to the will call window and demanding. You don't just pray for a car, you pray for what kind of car you want, you pray for what make and model you want, you pray whether you want low profiles, you pray whether you want a spoiler, you want the whole thing. You know, be specific. Because, you know, we know that's where, you know, be specific in your prayer for a car, it's in there. No. Faith can seem foolish. We look at Jericho, you march around the city for seven days, you yell and the walls come down. Gideon, who stood up there and smashed the pots and then the army ran away. You know what I want to say about this is that never happened again, guys. This was not a formula that Israel used again. This was God saying, do this. That seemed incredibly foolish. Why? so that people would know that I am the one that brings the victory, not you. So the foolishness is designed to help people understand, I don't understand how this happened. This had to be supernatural. I have foolishly marched around buildings seven times. This is, this is I'm, I'm, I'm confessing. Why? I really want that building somewhere in the scripture. Guys marched around it seven days. I'm going to march around that building and get it. We're still here, guys. You know what I mean? We're still here. The Old Testament says this of David. David inquired of the Lord. You know when David sinned so badly, there was not an inquiry of the Lord. It says David saw her bathing on the rooftop and saw she was beautiful. In every other moment, David inquires of the Lord, God, what must we do? Should we go up against the Philistines? No, don't. Should we go around them? God even gave him strategy. But what was it? It was that will call. It was God had spoken to him and said, I want you to do this. And David went and said, okay, I'm ready to do what you've asked me to do. I mean, there are times in my life where, uh, let me say this, exercising faith to do something, that's my jam. That's where I feel comfortable. God says, I want you to do something. I'm like, yeah, let's go. God says, I don't want you to do a thing. Yeah, that, that is hard. Moving here with my 16-month-old, sitting there crying. I cried. Karen cried. Keona cried. We all cried. <laughs> sitting outside the window. I can still remember looking outside the window saying, God, what have I done? That was easier. Let me tell you, that was easier 
And God's saying to me, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to wait and sit. Man, staying put is just as much exercising faith as actually being bold in claiming what God has given you. Make sure it is God that is inviting you into a situation to exercise your faith. Moses didn't go to God and say, man, I have this cool idea for blood on the doorpost. What do you think? No. God said, I'm going to do this because this is going to shadow Jesus' death. That act is going to be in the shape of a crucifix. That blood is going to mean that death will pass over you, and it's going to happen at the celebration of the Passover. It was all in his mind. Faith does not insulate us from suffering. I've talked about this, so I'm going to skip it. Faith can grow. The disciples say to Jesus, increase our faith. Jesus says to the disciples, oh, you of little faith. Jesus says to the Syrophoenician woman, I have not seen such great faith. He says to the centurion, I have not seen greater faith in Israel. So there are measures of faith. And that's why spiritual practices are so key, because they help us to build our faith. Because we hear the invitation of God in our spiritual practices. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. So how do we develop? How do we grow? How do we exercise our faith? We drop, cut, and run. Verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, throw off, drop, strip off every weight and sin that clings so closely or trips or ensnares or entangles us and let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, author, pioneer, champion, and perfecter and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, it isn't just the flawed heroes of faith that give us hope. It's also our current heroes of faith in the context of this community. That's why being part of a community of faith is so important. I'm not a runner. Has anyone heard of Roger Bannister? Okay. He is the man who broke the four-minute mile barrier in 1954. And you know what he was told? It's humanly impossible to do that. No human being can run a mile in under four minutes. He did not train his entire life for this. He had other things that he was doing, and it said even by, um, by the standards of his day, he was not a good trainer, okay? Do you know what happened in the year after he broke the four-minute mile barrier? 300 other people did. It's called the Roger Bannister effect, which means once I've seen someone do it, I know it's possible to do that. Not only, because you can see at the heroes of faith and say, whatever, you know what I mean? This was then, that was then, this is now. But when you're in community with people and you see people step out in faith and exercise their faith, you see people healed from tragedy, you see people step into difficult situations, and then you realize that the cloud of witnesses is not just the cloud that is eons old, but is literally weeks old. When you look at someone in your life group and they tell the story of how God has been faithful, and then you, like the other guys, no one knows who the other guys are, but they also, they also did it. You create the ability for others to follow in the wake that you have placed. 
Hebrews tells us to drop the weight. How many of you, where's Neil? Neil, come up here quick. How many of you believe that Neil is a strong, fast guy? Right? How many of you believe that Neil can run to the back and here in four Mississippis? Now, let's say, how many of you believe that? Not a lot of people believe that, dude. No, you know. I, four seconds, I think you can easily do it, right? You could skip it, yeah, yeah, okay. How many, how many of you believe that if I entangled him with sin, right? There we go. I entangle him, and he could probably pick this up with one hand. Okay. Right. Now, how many of you believe he can do it? Okay. <laughs> you should hang out with those guys. You know what I mean? Okay, you can drop it. Well, don't drop it. Okay. The, the things that God has called us to do are hard enough. We need to be fueled with the Spirit to literally live a life that is faithful to Him. When we carry weights and when we are entangled by sin, it becomes close to impossible to run that race. So what are these weights? These weights are not necessarily sinful things. They can be pleasures. They can be self-indulgences. They can be associations with group of people that weigh us down. They can be pursuits. They can also be anxieties. How do I know? And anxiety is wrapped around the idea of what if. It's never a reality. There's always this question of what if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? We can be weighed down by ambitions. Unless this happens, my life is not going to be worthwhile. We can be weighed down by resentments. That's why the Bible talks so much about unforgiveness. And we can be weighed down by shame and guilt. Now let me say this. This is pretty obvious. You can see this in a lot of people's lives. Them carrying a weight around. You know what's not so obvious is the weight vest of sin and shame. Oh, sorry, of shame and guilt. Because it's actually quite comfortable. We're used to it. We can run in it. We can do all sorts of things with this weight vest. And for a lot of us, we don't realize that we're carrying it. If you look at me standing up here, you can see, Nick, you need, you need to drop this. This is obvious. But for a lot of us, shame and guilt is something we've become very, very used to. Spirit's invitation is to drop the weight. Drop it. Spirit's invitation is to be free from the sin that ensnares, entangles us. Sin is different to weight because it wraps around us, it, it trips us, it traps us. It is easier to drop that weight. It's easier because we can see it. But sin is like this insidious vine that wraps around us. And when it starts to wrap, we tolerate it because it doesn't look like a big deal. It's this tiny little plant that starts to grow. And after a while, it's choking the life out of us and entangles us so that we can't grow. The cloud of witnesses reminds me that I need to drop the weight. The cloud of witnesses reminds me that I need to cut the sin. 
but it's also my current fellow runners that help me in this and actually say, hey, I think you should drop that. This is not a burden you're meant to carry. Nick, do you see this thing? It's beginning to wrap around you. Let me carefully help you cut that off. Community is essential in helping us to drop and cut so that ultimately we can run with endurance our race. This word is, it's a powerful word. It doesn't mean run, it really means contest. It's the same word that is used in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Aronia, that's what that means. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Endurance, patience, perseverance. This is not a sprint. Now, I mean, we've heard this. I was in my grade 11 year, and someone was watching me play a sport. It was the athletic guy. He watched me play a sport. He said, I want you to try out for uh, track and field. And I'm like, oh, okay, try for track and field. We did the 100 meter. I was, okay, the 100 meter. He says, okay, I want you to run the 400 meters. And I'm like, great. 400 meters, those of you that are runners, different race to 100 meters. What did I do? Shot out there, man. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. 200 meters, I can hear them behind me. 300 meters, all of them, whoosh, right past me. This is not a sprint. I know, I know this sounds so cliche, but it is a race of endurance and patience. We all run the same race, but we run it differently. I just had this mental mental picture of Samson running with Rahab. I'm like, wow, that would look weird, right? My wife and I are walkers, we're not runners, and we define people that run past us as gazelles or hippos, right? You know the gazelles, they just run. You're like, you don't even hear them behind you, they just whip past you. And then the hippos, you can hear, like half a mile behind you, it's like, I'm a hippo. When I'm running long distance, I'm a hippo. It doesn't matter whether you're a gazelle or a hippo because we are surrounded by gazelles and hippos. And all God is saying is that I am able by my spirit to equip you to finish this race. Drop the weight, cut the sin, look to me. Band, you can come up here. He is our author and our perfecter. What that means is that he is the one that gives us the ability to do it. Like Karin said last week, he is the one that gives us the gift of faith, and he is also the one that completes that. He completes that because of his faithfulness so that we can continue to be faithful and fruitful for his glory. He is our source and finisher, Jesus is. He is our coach and our healer, Jesus is. And we're not saying, okay, let's do this. We're saying, set our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? Us. Next time you're in a time of prayer and you feel alone and hidden, 
Just repeat those words, Scripture. Let that breathe faith into your heart. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross for me so that I could have relationship with God. It was his joy to go through that suffering so that I could be in relationship with him. What is our goal? Is our goal to be first? Our goal is to be with him. Our goal is to be with him so that we can be shaped by him and so that we can join him as he renews this world. What a wonderful goal. What a complete goal. It isn't just relationship, but it's joy and purpose and relationship. Jesus wants us to be with him so that he can shape us, so that we can have the privilege of seeing him do work in other people for his glory and his benefit. It is his work in us that we respond to. It is his work within us that enables us to have faith and endurance. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to the living word of God and I want this to breathe faith into you. In Christ, I have a righteousness that is not my own. This does not come from the law, but rather from the faithfulness of Christ. It is the righteousness of God that is based on faith. The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death so that I may perhaps reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. It's not that I've already reached this goal or that I've already been perfected, but I pursue it so that I may hold so that I may hold because Christ laid hold of me. It's not that I have already reached this goal or I am already perfected, but I pursue it. I lay hold of it because Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Spirit of God, we are so deeply grateful. We are so grateful that you are the one that laid hold of us. We are so grateful that even though we have no righteousness of our own, it is the faithfulness of Christ based in faith that enables us to stand before you cleansed and righteous. We are so grateful that the righteousness we have comes from knowing you and the power of your resurrection. And in order to know the power of your resurrection, we know that we need to know the power of your sufferings and death, death to this world. And we know that one day we will be made perfect. That one day we will not need to lay hold of you because you've laid hold of us, but one day we will see you face to face. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. 
I thank you that you are faithful to bring to completion the work that you've started, even as we read a couple of weeks ago. And thank you for your sovereignty. We trust that whatever work is happening, you will bring it to completion. Would you be with us this week as we take steps of faith, as we wait on you, as we trust you. Amen. This is a meal we take by faith. We hold in our hands what is a piece of bread that is significant of Jesus' body. We know that this does not physically become His body, but we also know that there is something unique about this meal of faith that says that Jesus is present as we participate as a body. Let's let's understand by faith what that means, that Jesus is here as we partake in Him. Take and eat. instituted by Jesus this is what we recognize the core of our faith is around the shed blood of Jesus better than the blood of bulls and goats the shed blood of Jesus shed once for all the shed blood of Jesus that purifies us of our sin we are so grateful take and drink Patrick's going to continue those of you that want to linger please feel free to linger those of you that um, are done I just ask you to quietly leave I feel like God's doing something still in the hearts of people and I don't want to rush that bless you Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.